want to praise you and thank you that we can come and we can praise you with no limits and no restrictions and that you are here and you meet us. Please bless Jim as he brings the word to us today, um, that it would just teach us something new. And it's all in your name. Amen. Well, good morning again. I need to get this over with. Hi, Lily. Okay, now I can't look at her the whole rest of the sermon. <laughs> like of all the nemesis that I have, it's like, Lily. Because if I look that way, she'll smile, and then I'll get this little way. And then I'm history. Oh, so. Well, today we're going to kind of continue off where Pastor Doug started taking us last week. Last week, uh, we looked at Romans 4 and 5. We, we looked at uh, living a justified life. We looked at, at, at being justified by faith. That we have a sin nature. We, we needed to be made right before God. And what we, Pastor shared is, it, it's not by works. We can't do enough to be justified. And as we look this morning, I want us to think that, and paint a little picture of Romans. Romans is written about a church of both Gentiles and Jews. But as we look at that book, we see those two, uh, those two worldviews, backgrounds, kind of in a little tension. But we also see in Romans the unsaved and the saved. So as we look at various aspects as we go through Romans, the first 11 chapters deal with taking us all the way from the life of godless people who thumb their noses at God through a process of understanding that sin nature and how to deal with it. And then beginning in chapter 12 and on, we see how to live out that relationship with God. So we're going to, and just for review, I'd like to share just a, a few verses with you that uh, were shared last week, just to kind of get you kind of back where we were. Romans 3, 23 and 24. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. In Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you've been saved through faith, this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. So kind of putting those verses into our heads as we continue on today, we're going to look at, in light of being justified by Christ, how do we live? Now, pastor did a really scary thing. He said, you can have between chapter 6 in chapter 13. For me, that means I get to preach like seven hours 
I'm not going to preach seven hours. I'm sure Zane already has the clock rolling. But I want us to think there's some things here that we're going to excerpt out of here to look at how we're supposed to live. Because Jesus did such an amazing thing for us. And I don't want us to just take it and not have it change us. And I want to begin with a story. There was an old couple, okay, been married a long time, let's say 50 years. And, you know, it's coming up on the 50th anniversary. And the wife realizes that for years and years and years, the husband has never said to her, I love you. And so she's coming into this anniversary season and time wondering about what is wrong with us. And finally, she got up into herself to confront the husband with this. And so she asked the husband, don't you still love me? And he responds, I told you 50 years ago I loved you, and if I change my mind, I'll let you know. (laughs) Sometimes we do that very same thing with Jesus. We get in. When was the time we ever reciprocated that love? That's where we're going today. And as we look today on how to live that life, I want to start with the the fact that we need to understand Christ's love and what he actually accomplished in that justification. And so as we begin this time, I want us to think that, that we were people that needed redeemed. The verses are shared in the beginning. We realize that we all have a sin nature, for all have sinned, all right? And now when Scripture says all, what does it mean? All, okay? Not some, okay? You can't pick and choose. We all have that sin nature. It wasn't God's plan. He didn't want to choose it for us. He allowed us the freedom, and we chose poorly. And, you know, we'll see that in a minute. And so, looking in Romans 3, I'm going to back up a, a little bit here. Romans, the second part of uh, verse 22. For there's no distinction, for all sin and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. Jesus paid the penalty for our sin. That justification, that redemption did not come freely. It cost Jesus everything. And so as we think about what he's done for us, realize how much he loved us in that. And we want to also continue in thinking why he did it. You know, folks, we were broken. And look in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 19. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So reconciliation, we were, we were separated from God by our sin. We were people that needed to be reconciled. You know, let, let's say I offend my, my brother Marty out here, right? The job of reconciliation is not Marty's. It's mine. In the matter of our sin, who should have to make it right? It should be us. Because we're the ones that messed up. But it was Jesus. He loved us enough to do the work for us because we couldn't. And so, we see the joy of that reconciliation. That relationship that was broken. And I want to illustrate that Matthew 27, 50 through 52, thinking about Jesus dying on the cross, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two, from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. You see, from that time of the fall, we see that we had been separated from God. And in that very act when he died, the, the symbolism in that curtain in the temple that separated man and even the priesthood except for the high priest once a year, the separation that barred us from entering his presence. Picture him just tearing it in two. He did that for you and he did that for me. So we see reconciliation and we see restoration. He wanted to restore what was broken. And today what I really, you know, this week, don't think for a minute, I didn't struggle through what I'm sharing. I had to face it. I, I honestly kid you not, I, I read through Romans five times. Trying to find, you know, some sort of subsection that I could get away from some of this, but no, it wasn't there. Sin is our problem. Jesus justified us before the Father like, like we hadn't sinned. He made us to appear righteous before the Father. If there was no sin, he wouldn't have had to do that. And so us in the church and the planet, we, you know, we should be not surprised that the people around us are sinful. We should not be surprised that every once in a while it rears its ugly head in our lives. None of us are perfect. But sin is the problem. And it's an obstacle for us embracing the relationship and, and living that justified life. And as we look at this, you know, I want you to think Genesis 3. There's some of this scripture, you know, I, I, I don't want to burn up the computer with someone keep hitting that, but 
Think about Genesis 3 and the fall of man. They had it perfect. God gave them a perfect place to be, and they messed up. The temptation was to be like God. For them, and the temptation by Satan, the serpent, and folks, don't blame it all on Eve. Adam was right there watching. It was a package deal. The temptation was write your own worldview story, your own picture of how you want life to be and expect life to be. That was the end of paradise. God gave them exactly what they wanted. And it gave them broken lives. Hard to deal with. Sin was the problem. In Romans 1, Paul begins this letter with a list of what those outside of Christ look like. Don't be surprised. This is what we were. I'm going to pick up in verse 20, and I'm going to jump around a little bit, so don't be surprised, just hang on. So they're without excuse, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Idolatry. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Then continuing on, he lists some of these things. In, in verse 26, women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to their nature. In verse 27, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for the error. And it doesn't stop there, folks. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, and this list I see is even more dangerous to people who embrace it. God gave them up to a debased mind to do whatever ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, contentiousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossipers, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God, they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. Okay, and we talked about that last week. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. People, that's what we were without Christ. That list was specifically penned by Paul with people outside the faith.
Now the kicker here. How about those of us in the faith? How do we look? I wrestled with this one hard this week. How do I look to the people around me? Do I treat people with malice? Envy, strife? And, you know, face it, sometimes we can have a pet sin. It's hard. We can all probably put a thumb on it. But to think that hit me over and over as I read this text over and over and over were those who gave approval to other people's sin. When we champion the sin of others, I want to paint a picture for you um, I have four daughters, one son. The four daughters all had to be lifeguards, right? One of us still is, maybe one and a half of us. Okay, Zach didn't have to be a lifeguard. Instead, he went to the Y and ran a buffer and got paid more than the other girls, which they did not like. All right, but you didn't need to know that, and the people listening from the Y maybe need to know that. But think the picture of a lifeguard sitting in the chair, and you know that you know that round ring you can throw sometimes. It looks kind of comfy. Imagine the lifeguard sitting on that, you know, eating popcorn, looking out over the waves, watching somebody drown, just enjoying the show. When we approve the sin of others, we're doing the exact same thing. For me, this was really convicting. How often do we not say something? Or even worse, how often do we support people in sin? In a lifestyle that separates them from God. Now, folks, good news is coming, all right? This isn't, you know, I don't want to send you out of here crying and bawling, and I'm not here to, I'm not here to hammer you. Not any more than I got hammered. But don't be that lifeguard. You've been saved by grace through faith, that not of yourselves, so that you can't boast. It was Jesus that paid it all. Revel in that. So as we look at it, sin, sin is a problem. And, and the second part of the problem is, and it kind of goes really right along with this, we pick up in Romans 6, beginning in verse 1, it's, it's license. All right? Now I look out there and, you know, half of you, half of you were my teenagers in youth group, and now like you're all in your 30s and 40s and 50s. Um, I remember each and every one of you getting your permits. Your goal was the license. 
this license is not the one to look forward to, okay? That one was okay, and I was like, and watching some of you magically take that test once, twice, three times. Like, don't, don't go three times, okay? But license in this is driving your own way. But what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him in baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. And down to verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. And then down to verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? By no means. And I want us to think we've been set free from sin. Jesus didn't set us free to sin. He came to conquer sin and death because he wants it dead in our lives. We need to embrace that and understand that. It's it's living the life that he has planned for us in the best possible way that, that we can experience. But there is a remedy. And continuing in chapter 16 and verse 17, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you are committed. And having been set, having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Consider what Christ did for us in that justification. We're no longer slaves to that sin. We're slaves to righteousness. All right, any of your kids ever do anything wrong and get in trouble for it? Maybe this week or two, one of us. Thank you for being honest. One of us is not a liar. The rest of you are liars, okay? Uh, We've all did it. Adults, um, yeah, we've done it. Here's the, here's the question. When, when we do this to our parents who love us dearly, right? Lily's three now. The terrible threes. Twos were nothing. The three, they get like, they develop that personality and the defiance becomes evil. I can't imagine Lily being evil. Yeah, maybe, maybe a little bit. <laughs> But she's still one of my favorites, just like Max. Max, you're one of my favorites, too. But even Louie's dad, Tyler, you knew you were one of my favorites. This message hasn't changed. When, When we love our parents and we live outside of the dynamics that make that work, we should expect trouble. 
Relationship is broken. Sin is bad. When we choose to live in sin, and it becomes the pattern of our lives, we look just like Romans 1. People can look at us and they see no difference between us and the rest of the world. And I want us to really think and consider how we look. But we embrace a different master. We become slaves of righteousness. And the last point today we want to look at is when we live that justified life We actually embrace it and believe in it, and we allow it to change us. And belief is not merely knowing something, it's, it's living it. Real change, as we see in Romans 12, 1 and 2, and we're going to look at Romans 12, think about what it really implies. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. See, in that, in what we see in in Romans 12, the first part of it looks at changes inside of us. When we live that justified life, Romans 12, 1 and 2, we see transformation. The word here is metamorpho, okay, from which we get metamorphosis. It's changing from one form to another. You know, when that monarch, you know, how many of us, you know, you've seen the monarch butterflies come out of the chrysalis, it's a totally different thing. It's like, wow, how'd that happen? It doesn't come out, if they come out and they're still goo, dead, okay? They go in and, you know, it's looked like weeks and it doesn't actually turn black and you see a butterfly, it's dead. It hasn't changed. Now, I don't know what happens inside that chrysalis. It's amazing. It's miraculous. But God causes it. In our lives, that change is amazing, it's miraculous, and God causes it. But you got to let him. And it looks like this. And I want us to think about, if we're changing, the world's going to see it. The entire Old Testament, we see that Old Testament law, and we see that word law used a lot in Romans the Jews looked different. God called Abram out, changed his name to Abraham. He took, you know, took him and made a whole nation of people. This is the entire Old Testament in 30 seconds. Made him a nation, made that people look different. Some of the things were for holiness and righteousness reasons. Some of them we read and just shake our head. It's like, why in the world? You know, don't shave your sideburns, don't get a tattoo. Dress like this, no flashy, you know, stuff. God wanted them to look different. 
what we need to consider, the things seen in that Old Testament law that we need to worry about are the ones ratified in the new. Because we've been given freedom in Christ. And, you know, I'd rather not have sideburns that come down to here. because They would just get stuck in a chainsaw and I'd rip them out anyway. But New Testament, God made us to look different from what pours out from the inside. This is living that justified life. This is living that metamorphosis. This is living the life he intends for us. And as we, as we look at that, what shows on the outside is really the evidence of what's inside. So consider how you look. Being a Christian isn't about what you live on Sunday. Being a Christian is what you live Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday as well. And I want us to think, switching back just for a minute to Romans 6, 22, thinking about sanctification. But now you've been set free from sin and become slaves to God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life, Christ Jesus our Lord. And I want us to think, uh, behind me there are four banners, Christ our Savior, our Sanctifier, our Healer, and our coming King. We all like Jesus the Savior, right? I'm in. My get out of hell free card, I got it, it's in my pocket. Well, I forgot my wallet. Okay, it's not in my pocket, but I own it. We like it when Jesus brings us healing. We do like that. We do embrace that. And when life gets hard, we, we love the fact that he's coming back. But that second one, that sanctification is the hardest one up there. That means we got to buy it. That means we got to live it. That means we got to let him change us into something holy. Think about that. And I, I wrestle with that. A.W. Tozer said, we can know the right words, but never be changed. This is the difference between information and transformation. And, you know, think about the difficulties of life as they come. And, I think the way these Sunday school, you're doing the whole armor of God, right? You know, we have the, we have the belt of truth. We have the, the shield of faith. We have the shoes of peace. We have the sword of the spirit. The helmet of salvation. But when we don't embrace sanctification and obedience, we don't embrace that truth. We can't experience righteousness. When we focus only on Christ the Savior, we go into battle with nothing but a helmet. The rest of us is naked. Okay? Now, I didn't write that myself. I got that from Ray Vanderlaan. If you've got to borrow, borrow from the best. 
when we don't live that justified life, we, we're fighting the battles around us with only a helmet. We don't have a sword. We don't have a shield. We don't embrace truth. We have nothing to hang the rest of our existence on. And we flounder. God doesn't want that for you. He doesn't want that for me. He wants us to live life to the full. And a life that, that doesn't only help you, but it helps those around you. Pulling some verses out of Romans 12, I'm going to pick up in, in verse 3. I'm going to jump around in here. You'll see it behind me. I'm going to pull out some verses. A couple other things that we look at internally are to not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. So if you're the person that says, I'm humble and proud of it, wrong, okay? The world doesn't revolve around you. The axis does not go through you, okay? There are billions of other people on this planet fighting just like you are going through trouble just like you are. It says, having gifts, in verse 6, that differ according to the grace given us, use them. Okay, these are internal things. We, we buy into what God has done. We humble ourselves, and we serve. We serve those around us. In Romans 12, 9 and following, we see these following things of what living the justified life really looks like. And this is the good stuff. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Don't embrace it. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Don't you? This is funny. It's like, I... You ever try and one-up on somebody by doing something for them? And they missed it. And then, then, then later on, they, they try and do something for you. It gets kind of funny, but make people wonder what's in your head, especially if it's Christ. Do good. Have fun doing it. Make them think you're crazy, and then show them why. Contribute to the needs of the saints and show hospitality. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. When we live the justified life, we would do life with the people around us and be a support to them. This verse does not, does not say, Preach to those who are in trouble. Sometimes we just need to sit with them. Those who are weeping, best thing sometimes you can do is just sit with them and love on them. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. I hold this one as one of my go-to life verses. 
there are things that we do not agree on and may never agree on. I'm going to love you. I'm going to try and be at peace with you. Because someday, that stuff we don't agree on is going to burn. And what we have left is each other. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And I'm not going to take the negative connotation on that one. But bottom line, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That is living that justified life. When, when we live in the justification Christ gives us and embrace that, transformation occurs. We look different. Don't be surprised when people are offended by what you think and you've not said a word because they know what you believe. Don't be surprised by that. Because the truth in this book critiques the world around it. It doesn't make it any less true. But be ready to give a reason for the hope that's within you. Because those are the questions that come up in the hard times. So when we live that life, I really want us to, to think about it. And, you know, we come to the so what. I got there half hour later, I don't know, 40 minutes later. What do we do? What do we do with this? It's simple. We let Jesus change us. And I want to illustrate that with a picture. If you want to bring that up. That's not, that's kind of a really bad picture, but I want us to, this stopped me dead in my tracks this week wrestling with this. That is a pile of basswood logs. All right? They have been cut for over four months. Dead. Dead, dead. They have had no life source for four months. Now granted, we now live in Vancouver and it rains every day. Is why, <laughs> scientifically speaking, why this happened. Those were adventitious buds lying dormant under the cells, but they should have been dead. And I literally went over and made sure it wasn't something else growing on these logs. And sure enough, they were all sprouts. And I want to finish with the picture that we were once dead in our sin. God made us alive. There is hope for everyone on this planet. Don't write them off. Never write anyone off. If 
people around you need to see that justified life lived out in you. See that Christ redeemed us. He bought us back from sin and death to make us alive. And, and for a reason. So we can be his hands and his feet and his voice to a lost and dying world that what was broken in the Garden of Eden and was restored at least partially when that curtain tore when Jesus died for that sin. Sin was defeated then, once for all. Living that justified life means we just buy that. We understand it and we live it. And I know where most of you are here this morning, but I don't know where all of you are in this. Consider this truth. Sin keeps us from God. If you wonder, you know, if you're living a pattern in your life where you... You're praying to God and you think your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. You're probably living a sin pattern. Because A, God doesn't want to honor something that's not his will. But B, if we live that redemptive life, we will seek and know what the good will of God is, and we will be praying for things that are going to matter. You may be there. You may be scratching your head and saying, what in the world did Jim just say? Either way, I want you to think on it. Chew on it. Realize how much Jesus loves you. As I was wrestling with this this week, I kept coming over and over and over and wondering. And I saw this, and for me, that just spoke renew. You know, we think that a lot of people see Jesus was a good, work, good guy. He, you know, he came to earth, and, you know, or he was just a man and nothing more, but he still healed people. And Jesus didn't come to make sick people well. He came to meet make dead people live. He wants you to live. And if we embrace this truth and live this justified life, these pews would be full. The people around us would see what we have and wonder what it is. He's not going to honor us if we embrace sin, and he's not going to honor us if we back people up in their sin. We can't do that. That separates us. That keeps us away. He wants us to be free for his glory and for our benefit because he loves you. He loves me. I'm going to pray as the praise team comes, and I want us to, to think You know, one last thing. In that last hymn, it is well with my soul. He wants us to live the peace of God.
He wants you to live and experience the peace of God. It goes beyond all comprehension. Let's close in prayer. Father, we... I just pray that your spirit would would work through this message this morning and that it would speak to the, the hearts of those who hear it just like it did to me this week. Lord, I thank you that I once had a heart that was dead and you made it alive. And I realize that there are a lot of people in here that, that pray the 